Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Okay, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the land of technical difficulties. This is the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast, take 6,422. My name is Daniel Foch. I'm joined here by my co-host, the lovely Nick Hill, who I have on FaceTime right now because we don't know how to use technology. We only know how to podcast, apparently. Yeah, tonight has been difficult. Usually these recordings take a couple hours of prep work and about an hour of recording for about 40 minutes of good, solid content for your ears. But tonight is a different story. We have run into every issue from... Things being deleted, things crashing, internet not working. But you know what? We are here. We are dedicated to get this episode out. Like, we got to do it. This is it. This is life or death. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've pretty much been hit with every possible obstacle to not get these things done, and we're still here. So I think we're good. The universe and is really testing us. Yeah, on that note, I think the universe <laughs> is really testing the market right now. I feel like it's starting to feel very bear market-ish. I think that crane index, we saw a pullback, mortgage fraud discussion ongoing. And you know those things are, are really symptoms of that kind of construction and mortgage red lights that we heard about in the UBS bubble index episode that we just did. You know, volume is down everywhere. And we're going to talk about that a bit today based on the Korea stats. And we're hearing constant stories about prices coming down, housing crisis stories, like all these students in shelters in Toronto right now. And, you know, despite all of this, the Bank of Canada put out a statement in their October 7th survey of consumer sentiment. And it basically says, you know, in chart number 10, the losing market churn remains high. And it's basically, what do you think the percent chance that over the next 12 months, you will move to a different primary residence? What do you think is the percent chance over the next 12 months that you will put your primary residence on the market for sale? And these seem to be, you know, relatively on par. So the idea of people just moving for the sake of moving, detaching from speculation and sentiment, seems to be on the Bank of Canada's radar as an okay kind of economic metric. But before we get to the Korea stats, Nick, we want to do a new little segment here that's called our review thank you. Yeah, it's kind of called like, you know, Dan and Nick get their tires pumped or <laughs> we're basically And then we thank uh, people. We express our gratitude. Yeah. So basically this is something that kind of Dan and I have been toying with this idea. We've seen it done on other successful podcasts. And for any person out there that has taken the few minutes to write us a review, to leave us a review, it really, I mean, not only is it great for the algorithm and all that good stuff, we all know that, it honestly makes our day, you know, no matter what happens, we both have hectic, chaotic lives and, and reading these and seeing the impact that we've had helping people and, and it's just great. So here's the first one in a segment. What Dan and I are going to do is we are going to each read one review and give that person a shout out. Oh, and before you start, Nick, you know, we try our best to be honest and transparent here. The reason we're doing this is because we want you guys to leave more reviews for us. So feel free to like throw <laughs> some product placement in there or something or make your reviewer name like a place you want us to send people or something. Yeah, we're completely okay with helping you plug your business on our reviews. So go ahead, take advantage of our reviews to, <laughs> to help yourself. The first one titled, These Guys Know Their Stuff. Love listening to you two brilliant cats. You have great voices and knowledge to share with us Canadians. You make me so excited to become a future real estate investor and replenish my love for houses. Thank you for sharing your expertise, Dan and Nick. 
Thank you so much. That's Jen from Winnipeg. Really appreciate it, Jen. This next one is my favorite, I think, so far. Uh, the, I wanted to read this one, but I'll let you do this. Is, this is a good one. Okay, this so is a good one. Emily and Samuel, it says, I don't have Apple to write a review, but I didn't let that small barrier stop me. My girlfriend does have Apple, so I have hijacked her phone, she is aware, to be able to write this review and leave a well-deserved five-star rating. I want to take the time to leave a question. What is your end goal? Financial freedom? generational wealth to own X amount of properties. I'm curious to hear your response. I appreciate the great content. Thanks again. So thank you, Sam. And thank you, Emily, for allowing Sam to use your phone. My answer to the question (laughs) is honestly, I mean, I'm at the point where I'm just, I'm really enjoying the journey and, and the end goal doesn't necessarily actually matter that much to me. So, I mean, with the podcast, like my goal is actually to make others or allow others to enjoy this awesome industry and investment category and asset class as much as I do. Yeah, I love that. And Sam, absolute hilarious question slash review. Usually people email questions, but we'll take this. This is Well, I think we did actually at the beginning, we were like, if you have a question, leave it in a review format to try and get our reviews up. So we encourage people to leave questions there too. And we're finally getting to them. So for me, you know, my end goal, and Dan, I do think that this deserves a full episode because I know that there's a lot of different, I speak to real estate investors all the time. And I think the main resounding end goal doesn't matter about the amount of doors or, you know, whatever you've accomplished. I think everyone really is in this to probably create generational wealth for sure, but financial freedom. And that is really just getting your time back. And that's my why. That's my end goal is to have complete control over my time. I love doing this podcast. I mean, like I really love it. And Dan does too. We have a lot of other stuff in our lives that I don't love as much. Like we still do it, but I want to just be able to get to the point where all I'm doing is the stuff I love. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a true sign of wealth from my perspective. And if we can help some people in the process, you know, help others invest, help and create housing or whatever it is. Those are all wonderful byproducts. And again, that's, you know, that is the goal. I think that's one of the reasons we started this podcast is you and I have had so much amazing help from amazing people in this industry. We just wanted to give back. Yeah. And like, and just spread that idea too. Like you can't do it without that. Honestly, you can't do it alone. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why we talk about the importance of teams all the time. So going back to the beginning of the episode here, Dan mentioned a whole bunch of stuff, the crane index going the wrong way, mortgage for a bubble, you know, constant rate of price going down. So it's pretty clear that we're living in some wild times, but we've said it before and I'll say it again. It's important to be aware of these things, but not to get so caught up in them because you can't change them. So focus on what you do have control of, which is improving your real estate business. And Dan, that's what we just did with our real estate business because tomorrow I'm driving to a property for the first time that you and I bought along with some other investors. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, you heard that correctly. Buying the, We bought the property weeks ago. I am seeing it for the first time tomorrow. That means we bought it sight unseen. We literally bought it over the phone. And I'll tell you the probably the number one reason we did this was speed. We saw a deal. We did our due diligence. We ran the numbers and it all made sense. So we didn't need to physically go and see it. Now, Dan, I know you've worked with investors for quite some time now. How often does this buying a property set unseen? I do remember from our Zolo article, episode 24, that 8% of home buyers in the last two years did buy a property site unseen. But do you see this happening quite a bit? And let's just talk maybe high level about some like the pros and cons as to why someone would do that. Yeah, for sure. So I think that, you know, it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, it's obviously a strategic move, like you said. I mean, the big 
pro here, the big advantage to purchasing something sight unseen is the agility, the ability to act quickly to something that comes up on the market. And, you know, when we're in a market that is incredibly competitive, that agility can be an advantage of 10, 20%, right? If you're buying something that maybe is not, you know, before you're competing against other purchasers or whatever it is. So having the ability to act quickly and also to, you know, capitalize on the liquidity preference of the sellers potentially and get in, you know, like without having, again, that competition. The the reality is if you look at it as if there is, you're going to hit the worst case scenario. So like you have to acknowledge the risks too, right? So let's think about the cons. Think about it as if you're going to hit the worst case scenario. And if the deal still makes sense as if that worst case scenario is realized, then that's the kind of property that you can buy sight unseen from my perspective. If you're going to get hit with a, you know, okay, worst case scenario, the house is going to fall over and I have to rebuild it and that's going to cost, or I have, and it's worth nothing, but I still like the land. Then okay, yeah, maybe that's, that's the kind of one. Because the best case scenario doesn't need a plan. It doesn't need a plan, right? Anyway, let's get to the creosats. You know, for those of you who, Nick, you wanted me to throw this in there, but we're doing a double header right now, which turned out to us being like recording like six episodes back to back because we've just had so many technical difficulties. But the reason for this is because I'm going off the grid for a couple of days up to a, a big 800 acre parcel, which is used as a, as a hunt camp. And actually, interestingly enough is, and that's just like a, a contextual word, by the way, that's just what they call them. But it's basically just this like nature reserve that we go and, and spend some time away from civilization. And it also has mining rights, which is very interesting because it is wow. like a gold mining. And I think forestry rights and stuff like that. So I don't know, just like a, an interesting little tidbit of information. But without further ado, maybe we'll take a quick break and then we'll get to the national statistics from the Canadian Real Estate Association. Okay. Canadian home sales soften again from August to September. Now, these are statistics released by the Canadian Real Estate Association, CREA. They show national home sales were down September 2022. Some of the highlights from the article here are national sales were down 3.9% on a month-over-month basis in September. Actual, not seasonally adjusted, monthly activity came in at 32.2% below Last year, September 2021. That's a pretty big jump right there. Yeah, ouchie. The number of newly listed properties edged down just 0.8 month over month. The MLS HPI, which is the home price index, declined by 1.4% month over month, but was still up 3.3% year over year. So a little bit confusing there. And the actual but not seasonally adjusted national average sale price posted a 6.6 year-over-year decline in September. So some weird movement in the market rate right there. The one big number is the actual not seasonally adjusted monthly activity. So major hit from activity from last year to this year in September, Dan. Yeah, and I think if you, you know, if you really analyze the first episode that we did was sort of about these returns to the mean and counter-cyclical events and what happens to Canadian real estate in recessions and rising rate environments. And you typically can see this big decline in volume that sort of coincides with this reduction in price if you look at volume and price sort of on the same chart. So there's obviously a correlation there. So, you know, seeing volume decline isn't necessarily something you want if you're an asset holder and you depend a lot on price, but we don't really advise people to do that here on this show. We advise people to purchase for yield and income and and all the other great things that the real estate asset has to offer. 
And so for us, this is actually more potentially opportunistic to start seeing volume decline because it means we can negotiate good deals and we can find properties that have good rates of return. So just to read this report really quickly, home sales recorded over Canadian MLS systems fell by 3.9% between August and September 2022. From May through August, month over month declines have been progressively smaller. The September result marked a slight increase in the current sales slowdown that began in the Bank of Canada's first rate hike back in March. While about 60% of local markets saw sales fall from August to September, the national number was pulled lower by the fact that markets with declines included Greater Vancouver, Calgary, and the Greater Toronto Area and Montreal. So obviously bigger markets that skew the data a little bit. The actual not seasonally adjusted number of transactions in September 2022 came in 32.2% below that same month last year and stood about 12% below the pre-pandemic 10-year average for that month. So I mentioned this a couple of times, correcting to below that 10-year average line because we saw volume running at like 20 to 50% hot during the pandemic because everyone was locked in their houses and all we were allowed to do was go on realtor.ca and contemplate how much we hated the house that we were stuck in. So anyway, Nick, tell me about the biggest winners year over year. <laughs> yeah. So let's go over the biggest winners year over year. And Number one here, we've started to talk a lot about Greater Moncton because it keeps on coming up on all of these charts. Greater Moncton is up 19.6 year over year, followed closely by Fredericton at 18% year over year, Sault Ste. Marie 16.4, Halifax Dartmouth at 15%, Victoria BC at 15%, Nova Scotia 14.5, PEI and Vancouver Island joining Nova Scotia at 14.5%, St. John's, New Brunswick, 139 and Calgary with 11.5%. St. John's, New Brunswick. What did I say? St. John's. That's the Newfoundland one. We'll get in trouble for that. We'll oh, get that's where they get uh -oh. the Toronto's the center of the universe stuff. That is, man. My apologies, people. So I think Money Sense did a thing about this, right? Sorry. They did, yeah. A Canadian publication named Greater Moncton the best location for prospective homeowners in the country. So in an article titled Where to Buy Real Estate in Canada in 2022 National Rankings, starts off by saying the authors assess the benchmark price for detached homes, attached residential properties, townhomes, and apartments. Last year, the typical price of a home was little more than $300,000 which was approximately $425,000 below the national average. Yeah, so they also noted that Atlantic Canada is attracting people from other provinces around the world. And we actually know that I think the year over or the highest growth outside of I think Oshawa, Ontario was in Halifax. So they're driven by the space, the nature and the affordability components. With its improving economy and diverse economic landscape, Moncton is a prime city, Money Sense noted. They also add that newcomers are drawn by the abundant space, accessible nature, and greater affordability, as well as New Brunswick's reputation for community and its opportunities to buy larger properties with oceanfront views. You try to buy an oceanfront view property in BC and you're paying a couple million bucks for that probably. Then there's the fact that working from home has made community obsolete for some workers. All of this has helped increase the value of Greater Moncton's residential benchmark price by over 98% in the past five years. Crazy. Totally crazy. Wow. You know, it's funny too, like it makes you wonder whether or not the Bank of Canada's, you know, obsession with 
balancing the labor market in quotation marks that they call it, which again is, you know, forcibly assassinating a lot of jobs. Yeah, trying to get a bunch of people laid off. But whether or not it's trying to kind of get back to resume the original commutingness and the economic activity. And look, we're probably, I mean, we personally probably want to see some people return to commuting because I think that's where everybody listens to podcasts. But (laughs) this labor imbalance is really felt in the employees right now are the, the ones who are able to dictate whether or not this work from home thing is perpetuating because they're the ones that are in demand. Right, So it's like a seller's market, per se, for the sellers of labor. Moncton's affordability will continue to make an attractive destination for local and out-of-province buyers seeking the comforts of home, especially with prices at historical highs in areas like Toronto and Vancouver. Two other New Brunswick municipalities cracked the top 10 list as well. St. John at $252,500. See, that's why I gave you the distinction. I got it. Corrected myself there. And Fredericton at $252,200, so really only $300, separates St. John and Fredericton. Neighboring Halifax and St. John's made the top 45 list too. Four Ontario towns rounded out the top five, including North Bay, Quinty West, Hastings County, Tilsonburg, and London and St. Thomas. And those guys are the ones that appear on our next list, which is the biggest losers year over year in Canadian real estate. I feel like that's an aggressive term. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I was going to say, maybe we should (laughs) change the biggest loser. That doesn't sound great. Second of all, I also love how we've consistently, and I think this is by accident or maybe subconsciously, I always read the winners and you always read the losers. Yeah, it's the bear and the bull, man. Yeah, I like it. So Dan, tell us about our biggest, what's a good word here? I'll get back to that. London St. Thomas is down 1.3%. Quinian District down 2.1%. Chilliwack, I think the only one on this list that's outside of Ontario, is down 2.1% year over year. Simcoe down 2.2%. Hamilton Burlington down 2.8%. Mississauga down 3.6%. Cambridge down 3.7%. And Kitchener Waterloo down 6.7%. Yeah, so if we go back to the release here, they have that September was another month of low sales activity, although with many sellers also opting to play the waiting game, the market remains on the tighter side of a balanced market territory. This is from Jill O'Doul, who is the chair of CREA. She goes on to say, it makes for an interesting dynamic, one that doesn't really have many historical precedents. The market has changed so much in the last year, and the adjustment to higher borrowing costs is still underway. Dan, let's unpack that statement a little bit. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you and I would kind of beg to differ that there are some pretty clear historical precedents and like, because forecasting is kind of useless except for understanding kind of what could happen and you kind of want to establish a range of potential outcomes and then say, okay, if, you know, I have a best case, a worst case and a base case and what would I do if any of those things happen and if the worst case happens, am I still going to be happy with this investment or with my life or whatever? Because look, I think that the worst case needs a plan and the best case does not need a plan, right? The best case means that everything goes as planned or everything goes perfectly and you you don't really need a plan in that situation. So worst case scenario, we see an 89 and 94 kind of thing happen. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but in a worst case scenario, if that did happen, would you still be happy with the real estate assets that you hold? Because when you think about, you know, again, our pod fathers who talk about value investing in stocks, the Canadian investor podcast, you know, it's that Warren Buffett stuff. It's like, do you, is this a good company that you're buying at a good price? And are you happy holding it with the hold period being infinite? Yeah, I love that. I think I'd agree with everything you said. And I mean, I'm looking at the statement here again. You know, 
to say the market has changed so much in the last year and we're still kind of adapting, well, that's just classic real estate and construction that's just a super slow lagging indicator. Again, just because CREA and the real estate, other the other governing bodies and real estate associations that are slow to move, that should not affect you. That does not have to affect how fast you move. We just started this episode off by telling you we bought a house within a few hours of it being online because we found it. We bought it sight unseen. There are still deals to be had. So although I understand what Jill, who is the chair of CREA is saying, I don't necessarily agree with that. But let's talk about the biggest winners, again, month-over-month growth in the CREA HPI. So this is month-over-month rather than year-over-year. So before we were looking at what's up year-over-year, now we're looking at just what changed in the month of September. Exactly. Thanks, Dan. So we start off with Kingston at 1.8% growth month-over-month, Oakville and Milton at 1.7%, Quebec City at one2 and then actually seven markets were all around basically the, the 0% range, meaning they didn't change at all. That includes St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador, Cambridge, London and St. Thomas, Simcoe and District, Redu St. Lawrence, Calgary. We move down to PEI and Ottawa, which is down 1%. St. John, New Brunswick, down 1.2%. And then the lovely GTA down minus 1.2%. The old center of the universe, eh? So the biggest not winners, I don't even know how you say this one. (laughs) The markets that went down the most month over month based on uh, CREA HPI. So there was 3.7 months of inventory on a national basis at the end of September 2022, up slightly from 3.5 months at the end of August. While the number of months of inventory was still well below the long-term average of about five months, it's also up a bit. So we are starting to get to a more balanced market. The aggregate HPI edged down nationally 1.4% on a month-over-month basis, which we've covered. Not a small decline historically, but smaller than June, July, and August, which, you know, that's when sort of the, the we're in those that major velocity downward. Breaking it down regionally, most of the recent monthly declines had been in markets across Ontario and to a lesser extent in BC. So these member earlier, we were talking about this when these are happening. These are the more credit dependent markets. They're the ones that are going to get hit first as rates go up. The standout trend in August and September was that quite a few of these Ontario markets saw monthly price declines get stopped in their tracks. So we've almost saw that downward velocity get tapped out. And I was saying earlier, I thought I would see this happen because it felt like they were forward looking or they were overcorrecting just based on what buying power. I'm not saying there's like, I still think there's probably downside risk, but they drop further than interest rates destroyed the buying power in those markets. In a few markets, prices even popped up a bit between August and September. Looking across the prairies, prices in Edmonton and Winnipeg are down from their peaks, while prices are sliding sideways in Calgary, Regina, and Saskatoon. Similarly, in Quebec, prices have dipped in Montreal, but are mostly fat in Quebec City. On the East Coast, some price softness that had been confined to the Halifax Dartmouth area appears to now be showing up in parts of New Brunswick and Newfoundland and Labrador, while prices in Prince Edward Island have flattened out in recent months, but have not yet moved any slower. Okay, here is the list of the markets month over month that are dropping the most in September. Edmonton down 2.6%. Vancouver Island down 3.1%. Huron-Perth down 3.2%. North Bay down 3.4%. 
There's a handful of markets down 3.5%, which includes Peterborough in the Kawartha's, Berrien District, Sault Ste. Marie, Woodstock, Ingersoll. Then we get to Niagara region at minus 3.7%. Bancroft, my favorite cryptocurrency. No. Down, yeah, down, (laughs) man. Minus uh, 4.3%. Impossible. Windsor, Essex down 4.5%. Chilliwack down 4.5%. And the biggest drop last month, Sudbury at 4.9%. You know what's so funny is remember when Bancroft, everyone was calling it Bankcroft for yeah. like a week or two there. <laughs> that was great. Well, was, yeah. Or Bankcoin. Yeah, that's another one. Okay, so I'm just going to read a little excerpt here from the career report. Up until recently, higher borrowing costs had disproportionately affected the fixed rate space, while buyers able to qualify more easily if they were in a variable rate mortgage. This is from Sean Cathcart, Korea's senior economist. The Bank of Canada's most recent rate hike in early September finally closed that door. So it was not a big surprise to see the additional softness on the sales side. The important thing to remember is that we're still in the middle of a period of rapid adjustment with buyers and sellers trying to feel each other out while a lot of people have just taken their homes back, taken their home search panels back to the drawing board as we navigate through this market as such resale markets may remain on the quiet side for some time with the flip side of the coin being even more pressure on the rental markets which what a layout is actually eh? our next yeah wow did you write that in there thank you sean good segue to the rental market wow yeah, so you know, it is interesting. I think that we're starting to see and a lot of people are asking me why are rents going up like crazy right now, right? And I think that a big thing is you're starting to see a lot of people get pushed out of ownership and into the rental pool. There's a couple of different things. The cost of ownership is growing so much that people are literally just being they can't afford it, so they have to go back to rental. But the other piece is as interest goes up, the sunk cost of ownership increases. So it actually becomes every time the rates go up, as long as if rents remained unchanged, then you know, it actually is gradually becomes a financially better decision to rent because you're paying so much in interest, right? Anyway, so that piece is interesting. He also, what he's mentioning on closing the door on the interest rate thing is that's where basically the variable rates were pushed above that threshold, that 5% or 5.25%. Tr- or the two, trigger rate, yeah. Not the trigger rate, the stress test rate, the 5.25% or 2% plus 2% on the stress test. Variables in that September rate hike got pushed over so that if you're on a variable rate, you're now qualifying at the higher of the stress test rate. So above that. So everybody's qualifying in like the 7% now, basically, I think, right? So crazy times. All right, let's get to this rentals.ca October 2022 report. But I guess before we do that, maybe we should take a quick break. Okay, October 2022 rent report from rentals.ca. The average rent for all property types across Canada in September 2022 was $2,043 per month, representing an annual increase of 15.4%. The average rent is up 4.3% monthly and 21.9% from the recent market low of $1,676 per month in April 2021. So that was sort of the pandemic bottom. The average rent is now about $100 more than pre-pandemic peak level from the fall of 2019. Yeah, so the rentals had a great chart here, and I just want to reference some stuff. And guys, this is all available online, so if you want to go check this stuff out for yourself, we highly recommend to do so. Rentals.ca puts out some great information. So they've got a chart here, and it's average rent and average rent per square foot by property type. So I want to go through September of 2019, and I'm going to read you all of the rental types and the per square foot costs. And then we're going to jump forward to last month, September, 2022. And just notice there might be a little bit of a difference. 
So if we look at a single family home in September of 2019, the average cost per square foot is $1.56 and the average rent is $2,768. If we look at the average for 2022, that rent has gone from 2768 up to 3014 so just about $300 there or less. And the cost per square foot has gone up about $0.14 cents from $1.56 to $1.70. Dan, do you want to take the next one, townhouse, and then I'll do condo and so on and so forth? Yeah, for sure. So 2019 townhouse, 19, just shy of two grand. Then it dropped in by September of 2020 to 1936. And then rose into September of 2021, just over 2000 so $2,086. And then huge jump in September. And, you know, keeping in mind that this is sort of your product, townhouses are, you know, we were talking about this in the missing middle side. It's kind of like in between your urban and suburban products. So it gives a good reflection of, you know, what buyers are demanding, seeing that this, or what tenants are demanding, seeing that this is one of the bigger jumps in this spectrum here, $2,500. So from basically $2,100 to $2,500, I mean, you want to jump over yeah, the condo and, apartments here? Yeah, but let's let's go, let's talk cost per square foot for a townhome as well. It started off in 2019 at $1.57 per square foot and actually has only gone up to $1.64, so a bit more reasonable than we saw the single family jump. But let's move on to the condo apartments. So in September of 2019, the average rent for a condo apartment was 2520 In 2020, it actually went down, 2382 And if we look at the cost per square footage back in 2019, it was $3.32 per square foot. That actually went down as well to two ninety seven per square foot. So that's an interesting one right there. Yeah, I think it's a good reflection also, you know, of the of what was happening in the demand from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, right? Like we saw a lot of people moving out of the condo apartments, especially in the more urban areas. Because if you get to the rental apartments, which is the next one, you see that it actually, you know, it's been on the progressive uptrend in the purpose built rentals, but the condo apartments, and again, condo apartment also is more mom and pop ownership. It's not large scale institutional ownership, you know, individual units owned by individual investors and often located in major cores. Condos being built more recently than a lot of that older rental apartment stock. So that number continued growing, I guess, Nick, uh, do you want to just hit me with the 2021, 2022 numbers there? Yeah. So the condo apartment went from 2520 down in 2020 to 2,105 the next year it was 2211 and the cost per square footage kind of remained the same throughout those two years. So that's a condo apartment. Let's move on to the rental apartment. Dan, why don't you take this one and then I'll go take the last one, which is by far the best, the basement apartment. So rental apartments, they've basically been on a steady uptrend. They kind of didn't move much from 2020 to 2021, but basically 1578 in 2019 to 1620 in 2020 and 1618 in 2021 and then 1810 in 2022 and obviously you are seeing a better per square foot rate here not only with the rents being cheaper but the other thing is a lot of these older apartments you know they were built in the 60s 70s when you know unit sizes were massive they weren't just trying to cram these condo buildings full of six or seven hundred square foot you know i mean six or seven might even be lenient here like four or five three 
What's the yeah, lowest well, that CMHC will insure right now? Didn't, didn't, they, didn't they just drop that number? Well, we just heard of this with Benjamin Tell, who is the CIBC's chief economist. He was talking about this, that, yeah, you know, anything with parquet floors or, or the bigger windows in your more classic condo-style apartment, they used to build condos, I think it was an average of 1,200 square feet. Like yeah. it was triple the size of stuff that we're used to now. And now I think the average one in Toronto, I don't even want to say because someone's going to tell me I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm open to that. Please correct me. I believe it's 500, yeah, five or 600. Yeah. So we've cut that price in half, which is funny because if you look at the cost per square footage here in 2019 for a rental apartment, it was $2.08 per square foot. That's a pretty drastic difference. And the biggest difference on all of these property types, because it goes from 2.08 to 2.46 per square foot just a few years later. Yeah. Now to go to basement apartments, we start in 2019 with an average rent of 1480. That goes to 1638 in 2020, down to 1515 in 2021, and then back up to an all-time high of 1721 in 2022. And we don't see major cost per square footage changes in those time periods either. It starts off in $2.04 a square foot, and then we kind of finish off at $2.12 a square foot. Yeah, so I think it's interesting here to think about why, you know, all of those dropped from sort of 2019 to 2020, and some dropped from 2020 into 2022. What we saw was this contraction in new household formation. So basically, a lot of people, especially from our generation, I mean, a lot of people are renting, you know, realistically, are millennials right now. They haven't entered the housing ownership pool yet, or they have chosen that rental is a better option. And we were seeing, sorry, during that period of time, millennials and Gen Z's, younger people leaving those rentals and maybe going back to live with their parents to conserve money, making a better financial decision because they were working from home and they wanted more space in the suburbs or whatever it was. And now we're starting to see the opposite, the unwinding of a lot of those decisions. And I think that there's probably you know, outside of, because we do talk a lot about price and what's happening with the macro and whether or not things are going up and down, but, you know, think more about sentiment and what patterns are happening. I mean, there were a lot of unpredictable patterns happening during COVID. What's the reversal of those trends look like? You know, what's going to happen with the boomers who left and went to live at the cottage and what's going to happen with the kids who maybe went to go live with their parents? Are they all going to come back to the city? I mean, we just saw booming rental demand in most of the Canadian cities this huge reurbanization of demand, right? So on that note, Nick, why don't you give me a little bit of a ranking of what's going on with the rents in Toronto? We'll quickly go through those and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, let's do this. We've got a great deal of the day that we're going to quickly get to at the end. So what, Dan, why don't we do this? I'll do the top five. I'll do one to five. And then why don't you do 30 to 35? Sure. That way you get to talk about the good stuff here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So if we look at Vancouver for a one bedroom, it's up 0.6% month over month to a average of 25.90. If you look at a two bedroom, it's up 0.3 month over month to a total of 37.07. Yikes. Toronto, not so far off month over month up 6.3%. That's crazy for a average one bedroom cost of 2,474. Average two-bedroom of 3,361, and that's up 2.9% month over month. We go back to beautiful British Columbia and Pit Stop and Burnaby here, where month over month is up 6.8% for one-bedrooms, putting the average at 2,292. For a two-bedroom, that month over month is a whopping 9.3% increase at 2,791. Back over to Oakville, Ontario, just back and forth across the country here. 
month over month increase of 4.3% for a one bedroom, bringing the average to 2,178 and a increase in the two bedroom cost for 2,736. That's a 1.3% increase. And right next to Oakville, we hop on over to Burlington, Ontario, where the average one bedroom is $2,165. And that's an increase of 1.5% month over month. Two bedrooms are averaging $2,631. And that is an increase of 2.8% month over month. Dan, what's the good news here? Let's go to the other side of this list where things are green and not red. Yeah, for sure. So I guess the bottom of the list is Winnipeg, Lethbridge, Alberta, Edmonton, Fort Mac, Regina, and Saskatoon. And, you know, quickly, most of these are still seeing year-over-year growth. So if we look quickly at Winnipeg, basically average growth seems to be in this kind of 2 to 6% range annually. And monthly, you're seeing about, you know, 1% to 2% growth. Lethbridge, Alberta, one to three percent growth month over month, and equates to about you know looking at up fourteen percent from this time last year. Edmonton, relatively unchanged on a month over month basis, but still up about five percent, five to ten percent from last year. And a lot of this is just inflation stuff. Fort Mac, this one actually surprised me, especially seeing what's going on with the oil boom right now. But I mean, I guess that really hasn't trickled into the Alberta economy so much, especially in these oil towns. Actually, I had somebody ask me to do a deal of the day from Fort Mac, so I should do that as well. He sent me a couple of listings, actually. But anyway, and I, whenever I see Fort Mac, it always reminds me of that movie Fubar as well. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they're relatively unchanged. You know, the one bedrooms are basically 0% change and the two bedrooms up about 5.6%. And again, thinking also about, you know, if you're seeing growth in the one versus the two bedroom, does that indicate that maybe more families are moving there rather than single individuals? And does that tell you something about household growth or the future of that area? Regina rents were down in both the one and two bedroom, still up three to 6% year over year. And then Saskatoon, basically unchanged on the one bedroom and up a little bit. And they're up about eight to 15% year over year. So that's a good summary. Why don't you get to the deal of the day? Deal of the day. Okay, so this one is actually from a listener. Thank you, Mark from Thunder Bay, who also reached out and wants to join our growing community. So thanks again, Mark, for listening, for reaching out, and for sending this in. This was a cool deal. So usually what we do is we look on realtor.ca, which the number here is TB. 222975. It's 11 Kenogami Avenue in Thunder Bay. Now, I love this realtor. I'm going to give her a shout out because Kate Passanelli, whoever's writing these descriptions, is doing a great job. She has in here the cap rate, current monthly rent, projected monthly rent. Other realtors can take note of this. So it's a duplex, only been on realtor.ca for 18 days, annual property taxes of just under three grand. Punch that into the landlord deal analyzer, and we've got a first year annual cash flow of about $6,000, monthly at about just over five. Cash on cash returns, 9.37. Your first year ROI is almost 12%, and your cap rate, she wasn't lying, it's 7.2%. So you love that. So again, super simple, punch in the property value, punching the closing costs, expensive month and rental, which is all there. Make sure your LTV is on point. Put your mortgage rate. Dan and I have been using a 5% rate just to keep things as accurate as they can. And make sure you do that because I think Lenlord puts theirs in at like 2.5% automatically. It's 2.5. So, yeah, I'm like, hey, like, come on, guys. We're not living in those times anymore. But 
Anyways, that was a great deal of day. This is a great investment. So for any Thunder Bay listeners, Mark, actually, I know you said you were looking to get into the market. So maybe that's your first property. Yeah. And actually, we're also going to have, I think the landlord team actually wants to put on a seminar with our listeners. So they're going to be aiming to do that on the 24th. And yeah, so, and we'll have that recorded so you can watch it. Just gives you a walkthrough of how to use this and all their other features like property management, et cetera. You know, they, they really like our listeners. A lot of you guys have joined the platform. And so they want to yes. try and serve this community because I really like what they're doing. It's, it's really cool. It's been super helpful for me as a landlord. So yeah, couldn't agree more. Keep signing up for that. You get a whole bunch of great stuff. Reach out to us if you have any deals that you want us to analyze on the show. We love doing that kind of stuff as well. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center, license number 10317, and a partner in GNH Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association, and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.